0: Today, I want to share with you about the oneness of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God in three distinct persons. We've been talking about God as Father, talking about how Jesus related with Father, God. And today, we're going to kind of now incorporate... Incorporate the Holy Spirit. And so before creation of the world, you have the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit who set their love upon us as human beings. Even before we were created, he had us in mind. And they set their love upon us so that we as created ones might Come into this place of fellowship with them. This is the whole heart of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is for humanity to enjoy the richness of love and fellowship that they have. We have some beautiful insight in Scripture we've talked about over the last number of weeks. Jesus had quite a bit to say about this union that he had with the Father And then he also talked about the union that he had even with the disciples. And his prayer is that we would have that same union with each other, even as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have. And it's very possible because that's really where we belong. We belong with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And because of Christ's work at the cross and the resurrection, he's raised us up. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. He didn't say, I'm going to just draw a few elect or chosen ones. He said, I'm going to draw all men. Actually, the term is, is used is more properly, and you, you'll find this in any, in, just go up and look at any commentary or concordance. It's more of the term to, to drag, a term that was used like with drag nets. okay, where you, you pull towards you. So this is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit always pulling on humanity towards his heart. Of course, we have free will. And some of us as humans can get a little stubborn. No, 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 no. No, I don't want you as Lord of my life. But he gently, gently just keeps his heart, and his extended torus and his arm around us like any good father. And Christ Jesus, the Son and the Holy Spirit do this. Um, I used this last week, but I want to once again share this with you. A quote by James B. Torrance. He said, the heart of the New Testament Is the relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is the primary point of all of the New Covenant, New Testament scriptures. Is the revelation of how Father, Son, and Holy Spirit work together with one another and with humanity. So I want to focus on that a little bit more today. But keep in mind that before creation even took place, it was decided that Christ Jesus, the Son, would span every perceived chasm between mankind and God himself and establish this abiding union with human beings. Jesus, even before creation, was predestined to be the mediator, to be the one and through whom that humankind could experience life the life of the Triune God, and by enabled to do that, he enters human existence. He comes forth as a human, so that all humans would have this bond of relationship. There was this infusion, this infusion of Christ with all of humanity, when he comes and he lays himself his life down at the cross. And it's because he was infused with humanity is the only way possible that he could absorb the sin of humanity. Remember some weeks we talked about when on the cross, he says that he, he all of our sins, or it actually says he became sin, okay? He became sin. That had to do with something internal within his very being, okay? And that's because he was already had this divine connection. Well, that's no surprise because we are all created by him. And he holds the one that holds us together. The scriptures make it so clear. By him, all things exist. By him, all things are held together. Plain, simple, the Bible tells it. Okay, so there we are. So it's no wonder that when he goes to the cross then, the sins of all humans, he says everyone, every human being, the sins are like just absorbed in the Christ. And it's such a beautiful thing because this came out of the love of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It was Jesus himself and his death at the hands of angry sinners that the life of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit pitched a tent, so to speak, within our own earthly hell. And sometimes just life is hellish because of sin, because of evil, because of the works of darkness. But in doing so, he united our hearts with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The problem is, is that many, many in our world does, do not realize this beautiful work of Christ. Many have not yet even been told, and many who have been are saying, no, no, this is not what I'm ready for. And for some dear people, um, I've had shared with me, someday, someday I'll consider, but right now, I don't want this any close personal relationship with the one that created me. He may have created me, but I'm not ready for that yet. Aren't you glad that we have God who's so patient? Aren't you glad that He doesn't just write us off at that moment and say, okay, well, tough. You know, I gave you one chance. That's not how He operates. He's continually drawing His heart or us towards His own heart. In our brokenness, in our shame, in our sin, we're invited into the adoption, into the circle of fellowship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit that reveals Christ in us so that we can meet Christ himself, even in the middle of our sin, in the middle of our shame. And to see what Christ sees, because he sees more possibilities than we even see about ourselves and about life. He has a clear picture. Our The picture that we have of even our own selves and of one another is marred, is distorted. That's why we struggle sometimes in our earthly relationships. That's why we look in the mirror sometimes and struggle with our own selves, because we don't have a clear picture. We only see in part and such. And that is where this whole thing called trust keeps coming back, is that God invites us into this place. Will you trust me? Will you trust me with your heart, with your life? I'm working even when you don't see I'm working. I'm moving even when you don't see I'm moving. Yes, even in that other person that annoys you, drives you crazy, that upsets you, or even the person that has hurt you. That one, that lady, that man, I even love them. And you're thinking, I'm glad somebody does because it's not me right now that's feeling any love. It's not like God's offended. God, like, oh, I can't believe you just said that. God doesn't think that way. He understands, and he's patient with us. How many of you ever felt like that at a given moment, and then later you find your heart softening? I hope there's somebody in the room that's had this three of us had your heart softened. That's beautiful. I'm so grateful to the Lord. Well, God is patient. He works with us. You know, the Holy Spirit is who discloses unto our hearts and reveals to us Christ, the Son of God and the Father heart of God. It's his work in our life that draws us into this union, that draws us into this rich salvation. And as we make choices along the way, changes happen and transformation happens. And then we become something beautiful that God saw all along, even when we didn't see it or others saw it within us. But as we learn to trust Father in Christ Jesus to change us, we enjoy the flow of eternal life I think that sometimes there is frustration on the part of one who really wants to have a, a, a full, uh, meaningful life. And the, the frustration goes along this line is that I really, I, I don't feel like there are the kind of changes in my life that are really significant enough. And, and so sometimes, you know, we, we have this certain standard of here's God and here's us and we're so lowly here. And sometimes it seems so far and distant from us, but I want you to have a different picture of this, okay? As your heart moves towards God, picture yourself within the Trinity. That's how you were created. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit created you and is holding you together physically, mentally, emotionally. He's holding you together. You may not have much of a relational rapport going on, but... Picture yourself in the middle, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and you're just standing in the middle. It's like, oh, this is good. See, that is a reality. Every human stands in the middle of that relationship, even though they may not be relating and have embraced the fullness of salvation. By creation, by design of the creators, everyone has been included into that place. That is just so clear in Scripture that everyone... That's why the scripture says that what Jesus did the cross, at the cross <clears throat> in forgiveness of the trespasses of humankind, he says that he doesn't count any man's sins against him any longer. If he did, if he counted anyone's sins against them, they would be outside the circle of love. But because he does no longer count their sins against them, they're, automatic, they're included. They've always been included in heart. And so Jesus just manifests that truth there. And he says, Man, will you trust me? See, salvation is about the yes to, I want to trust you, God, with my life. Salvation is about, I want you to be Lord of my life. It's not about positioning ourselves so we could get forgiven someday. That's already done. Salvation is about, okay, God, I, I'm going to take the risk here to trust you. We all take risks every day, right? Every time we get behind the wheel of an automobile, that's a big risk, right? We take risks of relationship. Sometimes we get burned and we hide out for a while and then we venture out again. We take a risk again. All of life, there's so much risk in life. Why not risk a little bit? And say, okay, God, I think I'll trust you. I don't know a whole lot about you, but, but, but here I am. And picture yourself, use your imagination in a holy way, but picture yourself in the center of his divine love, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Ah, okay. I believe you. You do love me, see? And gain that as a picture. Rehearse that over and over again in your imagination. Remember this. It is the devil himself who comes as an accuser, He's the accuser. He's the one who makes the accusation. Yeah, but remember what you did. How could God ever love you? Yeah, I've had so many people say, Galen, you have no idea of all the terrible things I've done. I don't think God could ever forgive me. I mean, I'm talking about dozens and dozens and dozens of people over the years have shared with me that very statement. Because in that moment, they feel such despair, such shame, such guilt. And we can feel it to a lot of different degrees and dimensions. Every one of us can can identify with that to some degree. The Father's love is so far extending. He draws all of humanity towards himself. You know, Jesus Christ, now let's step back a little bit and look at Jesus. He stepped into Israel's history, not merely as a great prophet or as a revolutionary priest or even Israel's best king, But Jesus stepped into Israel's history as the the one Israel or as the Lord. Now, this was difficult to understand and to accept by the dear Jewish people of that day. We could get a little bit silly in our thinking. Say, hey, what's the big deal? Come on, it's simple. We know this. You weren't in their shoes. I wasn't in their shoes. The shocking truth of the New Testament is that Israel's Lord became human. Mind-blowing. The creator, the one in and through whom all things were created, entered into the world of his own creation. Powerful, but mind-blowing. Christ Jesus became one of us. Thus the scripture said, the angel told Mary, his, um, um, his name will be called Emmanuel God with us. Isn't that powerful? She must have thought, like, oh my goodness, what do you mean God with us? God is God. And now He's here with us. Jesus was not alone when He actually came as a human. He identified Himself as the Son of God. He lived in relationship with the one that he called my Father. And so moving within and through Christ was the Holy Spirit. So you have Father, you have the Son, Christ Jesus, and the scriptures make so clear about the anointing of the Holy Spirit that came upon Christ and moved in and through him. So you have this oneness of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Jews and the Greeks accused the Christians of polytheism, of uh, having many gods, because they worship the Father, and they worship the Son, and they worship uh, the Holy Spirit. Now, please understand why the Jews were so concerned about this matter. They had been surrounded by other nations and people groups who worship multiple gods, the Canaanites. The Egyptians from whence they came, and all other, many other nations worshiped multiple gods, pegging gods, if you will. So Moses gave the Israelites the Shema. Shema simply is a Hebrew word for here. And the Shema was prayed every morning and every night by the Jewish people. How many of you know? the scriptural context reference for Shema, for the Shema. Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5. Hear, Shema, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. Now, they were also to pray in addition to that up to verse 9 as well as chapter 11, verses 13 to 21, and Numbers 15, 37 to 41. But sometimes they would just simply pray verse 4 through 5. Now, the Jews knew very well the Torah, the five books of Moses. And so they knew this very well, and it clearly states in the Shema, The Lord, our God, the Lord is three. The Lord is one. Okay? They have heard this all of their lives since infancy. It was embedded deep within the the, the depths of their soul, and their entire beings, and now, all of a sudden, Christ, Jesus comes along and he's dying, uh, identifying himself as the Son of God and his Lord. I think I'd have had a hard time with that. You know, we can read the scriptures. Oh, what was wrong with those silly people? Well, I mean, come on, man. Jesus is cool, man. He's God. I mean, he, they just should have accepted him. But you've got to understand their hearts. Understand they just weren't a bunch of rebels, they were ones who were loyal to the God that they had been introduced to. And the Shema says, he's the, um, the one Lord. Uh, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Every morning, every night, they recited those prayers. Now, for all of those who encountered Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit as he moved throughout in ministering forgiveness of sin and healing, knew he was Lord God in person. They had this sense of, Whoa. And one day Peter gets the revelation. He is the Christ. Oh, my goodness. And then you even have doubting Thomas in the end. He says, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. So he identifies Jesus Christ as Lord. But you got to understand, to the dear Jewish people of the day, they're like, these people are Whacked. At best, and at worst, they're all heretics. This guy's an imposter. And you see bits of this when you watch the the Chosen series. By the way, I think they do a pretty good job depicting some of this. And uh, it's amazing. But you put yourselves in there. So not only was Jesus considered to be Lord, so you have Father God as Lord, Jesus as Lord, and now these new Christians are talking about the Holy Spirit being Lord, being God. This was blasphemous. This was nonsense to the Greeks too. For those who believe Christ Jesus was Lord and God by their own experience and encounters, this was a dilemma. This was a dilemma because they shared the Jewish belief in one God, but because of their encounter, because of their experience, and that's been been our um, theme for the month with our core value, experiencing God. They experienced him, not only as Savior, but they experienced Christ as Lord. Something shifted and happened and was transformed within their own souls when they encountered and experienced God in Christ Jesus. Even though they'd been told This one Lord, but there's something in the encounter that I know that I know that Christ is my Lord. His Father, to whom he refers continually, is also Lord. The Holy Spirit, to whom he attributes the power that works in and through him, is also Lord. Can you see why the early Christians were considered to be totally whacked? This was crazy. So in the context of where they encounter God amongst all the Jewish people and then the Greeks are like, whoa, these Christians, this isn't making sense. So how do we talk about this relationship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit without falling into polytheism on the one side or denying the divinity of Jesus and the personhood of the Holy Spirit on the other, let me give you a little history. The first 300 years of the Christian church was really tumultuous, and <clears throat> it was powerful for the Christians who were experiencing God, for the people who were experiencing God. But within Christ Church, there was a lot of turmoil as they were trying to come to grips with this new theology that was not laid out in the old testament scriptures simple now relatively speaking but even we have a hard time we read the scriptures and one person says well no that's not what it means the other person says well yes it is i mean we all struggle with this as we even form our own understanding of god part of which is revealed in scripture and part of which is revealed by our own experiences see so we still struggle that's why there's ninety thousand denominations, they say. Ninety thousand. That was a new number I just got this last week. I knew it was over fifty thousand. Now they're saying ninety thousand. Is any wonder the rest of the world goes, Christians? They got ninety thousand different opinions. <laughs> Which one would I follow? if I decided to become a Christian. Oh, the 89,000th opinion. That's the one I'm going to align with them. The rest are wrong. We can't trust them. <laughs> so there's a the challenge. So the early church had a priest in 200 AD and a theologian from Rome named Sabelius who put forward the idea that the one God manifested at times as father, then as Jesus for 33 years, and then as the Holy Spirit after the ascension. Uh, ascension. And this view is known as Sibelianism or modalism. And uh, this, in his entire intention, you've got to understand the heart of the man, He was a godly man. What he was wanting to do is to affirm the deity of Christ, but maintaining that God is one. So his answer was, okay, so you have God revealing himself as Father today. At sunset, he's revealing himself as Christ. By the next morning, he's revealing himself as Holy Spirit. One God, but he has three modes in which he operates, okay? There's a few groups of people, wonderful people, that I feel like brothers in Christ, who embrace this approach even to this day. So in his model of understanding, he and his followers would never refer to, to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as they. Because that denotes relationship between one another. It was either Father today, by sunset, God all of a sudden, hey, I'm revealing myself that I am Christ. And the one God next morning, oh, hey, I'm Holy Spirit. Welcome me. I want to transform your heart, see? But never in this Model Did they refer to they, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? One little problem amongst several is that it tends to, my terms, maybe not an appropriate term, but it could feel like a mockery of Jesus living his life in relationship with his Father, which he constantly spoke of dozens and dozens of times, my Father. He would pray to my father, see? So we have to kind of like do some real finagling to get around this thing that Jesus talked about, my father sent me. I and my father are one. What? What's with that? But these are difficult things. And sometimes we're trying to understand things with a finite mind and uh, it doesn't work out too well. By 220 A.D., 20 years later, it was considered heretical teaching. So most all of the church throughout the Roman Empire um, rejected this. And then about 250, uh, late, late to, uh, 70s, to in the 270s uh, A.D., another popular thought was put forward by a guy by the name of Arius, And he took the Greek perspective that God is alone and that the Father and the Son were distinct, different persons. But he thought that Jesus was the first and greatest creature of God's creation. And then through Jesus, he created all the rest of creation and everything else within the cosmos. I referred to this briefly a few weeks ago. And part of it comes where it says that he is the firstborn of all creation. And there's several other scriptures that if you don't see the larger picture, you can come up with that conclusion, that Christ was the first created one. The problem with this line of thinking is that Jesus is really not deity or God then, but he is just another creature that was elevated above all the rest of the creatures, but nonetheless, he is simply a created being. Then Saint Athanasius pointed out that this view sees Jesus as a creature and not God. Therefore, he could not be considered Lord in the same sense as Father God being Lord. So the church was struggling with all these various views. Under the leadership and the endorsement of the Roman emperor, Constantine. How many of you are familiar with Constantine, okay? His mother became a Christian, devout follower of Christ. And Constantine then embraced Christ, uh, Christianity. Now, I know there's questions sometimes is that, you know, was it a real personal faith? Um, Some of the history accounts say yes, he was actually had a personal faith. The one problem side of it was, he had then basically introduced Christian nationalism because he declared it to be the national religion, the originate of Rome, see? So now you have nationalism, and Jesus said, no, 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 that's not how we do it. But anyhow, that was his take on it. But there was something that, that he recognized. He and some of his guys recognized there was a lot of dispute over this thing of Jesus being deity or Lord or not, et cetera, and how all this works. So he called a gathering of bishops. 1,800 bishops from the east were, eastern countries were invited, 800 from the west. They gathered together in Nicaea, okay, Um, which is now within uh, uh, Turkey, the nation of Turkey today. And so they gathered there and they arranged it in kind of a similar form of like a Roman senate, where there would be hearings and people would have different opportunities to voice their perspectives and opinions. Now, <clears throat> the history books tell us that uh, there was anywhere between 250 to 318 of the 1800. Excuse me, that actually came out of the 1800 that were invited. Uh, one guy records that he personally counted it was 250. Another guy said I counted and there was 270. Another guy counted there was 300. Another guy said there was 318. So that's why you'll read it somewhere between 250 and 318 bishops had actually gathered. They gathered on May 20th to 325, and they were there until July 25th of 325 A.D. That's two months of wrestling with a lot of theological issues here. And this ecumenical gathering of bishops, now they represented all segments of Christianity known at that time, at least within the Roman Empire. And their specific purpose was to discuss the nature of God the Son and his relationship with God the Father, and then the working of Holy Spirit and where does he come in. Out of that came what is known as the Nicene Creed, 325. 325. Let's look at it, just a little couple segments of the Nicene Creed. This was their conclusion. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and the earth, and of all things visible and invisible. Let's go to the next slide. Now, this isn't the entire creed. If You want to see the entire creed? You can look it up online. We actually have it on our website because this creed is kind of a summary of the foundational doctrinal beliefs of most all of Christianity around the world today, including the Orthodox, the um, Catholics, as well as most all Protestants, all right? And so they also said, we believe in one Lord. if you catch that? One Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father of all ages. Now, get this, the clarity here, God from God. Christ was God from God. He wasn't a created of God, he's God from God, light from light, true God, he's true God, and true from true God. This confirms his deity, begotten and not made, so he was not the first created one. Of the same essence as the Father through him, all things were made. Let's go to the next slide, because this and is regarding the Holy Spirit, and we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord. So, one God, three distinct persons: Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Okay, so this isn't modalism, to where God says, "I'm Father today," by sunset. Hey here I am, I'm Christ. Oh, next morning, hey, welcome world, I'm Holy Spirit today. See, so you really have one God, but they're interrelated and all joined together in perfect union. So the decree, creed declares Jesus as one substance uh, with the Father and he's placed in the circle of everything it means to be God. Now, you notice how the bishops of this gathering, they, of course, included the Holy Spirit. And so, you see, in contrast, the Jewish mind uh, understood one God, which meant a single individual or solitary divine person. For the Greeks, one God meant indivisible, uh, not subject to partition. He's immutable. But for Christ's church, one God came to mean three persons. I put up this diagram here, this actually helps, I think, explain it. Okay? You have Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the top, father is a different person than the son, left side, Father is a different person than Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit is a different person than the son. all equal God. I kind of like that one it, it's, it really helps me okay it gives me kind of a, something visual that the scriptures speak of, and it's just I think a beautiful visual uh, a diagram there <clears throat> now. When we think of ourselves, think of this. We're smack dab in the middle. As God's concern, as, as far as Father's concerned, He created everyone. We're in the middle. Now, here's what's crazy. How many of you ever had a heart towards another person? Maybe even a family member. And in your heart, theirs as included as any other person has ever been in your life. And yet one day they tell you, I just don't feel loved. Nobody loves me. Nobody includes me. I'm the outsider around here. And you go, what are you talking about? I love you equally. This happens in families sometimes with one of several kids will feel like they're on the outside, but they've been included all along. Now, they may not have a, a, a life-giving flow of relationship. That's kind of apparent, at least from the child's perspective. But they've been included all along. Guys, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has included all of humanity at the cross. But even in creation, that's why Paul says that all are children. And at the cross, that's why everybody's sin has already been dealt with. Done, it's over. It's just that sometimes we haven't yet awakened because we're still dead in our sins. We're blinded by evil, and we have an awakening to the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. See, guys, this is the good news. The good news is that everybody has been included in the love of God. Everybody has been included in the work of the cross. We're all his kids. Beautiful how the Spirit and Father and Son work together. John chapter 14, I will ask the Father, he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. That's what we call sometimes in evangelical circles is referred to as being born again. It's referred to as salvation, okay? It's when we have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. But he's with us all along. He's with all people all along. And he invites, come. Come. Come and dare to trust me as the Lord of your life, that I can come in and dwell in you and abide in you and bring forth fruit and life. That is the good news of the gospel. Ephesians chapter two, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. God is relational. He's always been. He's self-giving and other-centeredness. And uh, the, we are in His thoughts and His heart at all times. Well, let's wrap this up. He's looking simply for our response on a daily basis. Learn to trust. I learn to trust. Now, keep in mind, God doesn't have to earn our trust. Sometimes we may feel that way because sometimes when we're burned in earthly relationships and somebody has said, yes, 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 and in reality, there was a no, no, no all along and all day, one day it comes to the surface like, okay, dude, you're going to have to earn my trust. I kind of get that. I understand that. And that's a whole nother subject itself is how do we learn to trust? But God doesn't have to earn our trust, but rather he says, he invites us, will you trust me? Every one of us as Christians, as ones who are thinking about following after Christ, it's really about learning to trust, taking little steps of, I'm gonna trust. Faith has everything to do with this. If you see the path before you clearly in all aspects and dimensions of it, it requires zero faith. Faith is stepping into some arena of unknown in terms of all how it look will feel and how it will turn out, right? So we all live by faith every day in different areas of our lives. And God is just simply saying, will you trust me? Will you trust me? Here's what I am most concerned about is, is that one is that we have a clear picture of his heart for us and all of humanity. Let's make sure we're sharing good news and not the bad news that sometimes is shared and God is portrayed as something that he's not in reality. And so the good news is this. He's for all people. 2 Corinthians 13, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. You see that? Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, one God, three persons, this is heart's prayer, our Paul's prayer. I want to end here with that last image here, guys. Put it on the screen. And so what we really have, um, you've got Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Distinct persons, but together in a holy divine union. And think about this. As his created loved ones, You're included. Accept the invitation, though. Make choice, him to be Lord. I think that's an ongoing choice. Because we come to bumps in the road, and bumps in the road concerning our own faith, disappointments, disillusion. And it's that continual thing, okay, God, I choose... For you to just be Lord, I'm going to keep trusting you with my life. That's how transformation comes about. In the little things from day to day, from week to week, year to year. And we keep growing. It's powerful. It's beautiful. Transformational. And there's a whole lot of wonderful people that I want to see being able to to learn to trust. Let's make sure, though, that we share accurate information and understanding of who he is. I can tell you this, that's why many people don't trust. They've been told things about God that just aren't scriptural. They're afraid. But I'm glad the good news is revealed in scripture and we can trust him.